This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, from the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin, which happens to be the headquarters for Rotowire, a company that employs both of us. Well, AJ, we have a new sponsor on board. The name of the company is PropSwap, and... Uh, the story here is that the smart sports better knows where to find the best offs before placing a bet. That's why we always use PropSwap. Take, for example, a Flyers ticket betting on the Stanley Cup playoffs sold on PropSwap. It was odds of 15 to 1. That's right, 15 to 1. And every other local casino in the Vegas area has odds of just 8 to 1. So you can see the advantage of going with PropSwap in that instance. It's obvious. PropSwap customers always find the best odds because you're buying directly from other bettors just like yourself. Come join us. PropSwap is the edge you've been searching for. Don't delay. Go to PropSwap.com today. AJ, what do you think about all this? Well, it's always kind of fun to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, into kind of the sports betting I, I i wish we could do it here in wisconsin unfortunately we can't so have to be a little bit creative on that front um but it's it is fun to do uh the the sports betting and to have another avenue where you can buy tickets directly from from other uh other betters like yourself and and hopefully improve your odds you know as to what you might get uh on your you know your everyday uh, site like uh, the you know the FanDuel sportsbook, the DraftKings sportsbook. You can go to PropSwap uh, and look at their odds and, and hopefully get something even better. Well, we're welcoming them on board and thank them for uh, sponsoring our show. Uh, it's great to have a new sponsor on board. It, it just shows the growth of our program, AJ. And we thank our loyal listeners too. And we apologize actually for not being on the air last week, but uh, we will be every Tuesday going forward the rest of this playoff. On today's show, we're going to have to review the conference quarterfinals that were completed and then preview the conference semis, which actually got underway over the weekend. But before we do, AJ, again, could you please remind our listeners of our contact information? Yeah, absolutely. If you have uh, questions about hockey, uh, fantasy hockey, 
DFS lineups, uh, any sort of thing. So we're, we're Paul and I are actually in a format where after each round, you get to pick up an additional player from, from the remaining teams. So if you have questions about who you should think about picking up uh, in some sort of format like that, we're happy to engage with you and answer those for you. As Paul said, you can follow me at AJ Scholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. You know, I was gonna, I was wondering when you would work in that pool because you're doing so well in the nearly going, but <laughs> there's a dark horse looming, and that's me. And uh, I like the fact that I got some real good players still left in my roster uh, for the rest of the way, and I'm going to close ranks, pal. I, I think I'm going to catch you. <laughs> no, yeah, I, th- I think so too, honestly. I mean, I was pretty highly invested. I, I didn't really mean to go this way, but I invested pretty heavily in the Blue Jackets because I knew they were going to get past Toronto. Ouch. Um, it was just a matter <laughs> a matter of if they could get past a, another round. And I think if they had, I, th- I think you're right, um, I, I would have made it pretty far. But I banked some points early. Uh, at this point, I'm not expecting a win. Uh, one of our compatriots is pretty far ahead. But if I can uh, maybe hang on for a second or a third and uh, at least get my money back in this thing, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's the minimum that we all expect. But it's been a fun format and uh, keeps us all engaged. But AJ, we have to get through the eight conference quarterfinal series that were completed before we take a look at the series that are underway. So uh, let's get through the Western playoff bracket Beginning with a, a, a look back at the Chicago versus Vegas series. Look, uh, I called it in six games, and you agreed. It turned out Vegas dispatched the Hawks in five, but uh, they were a plucky club, and, and they really showed up in the first couple of games to give Vegas some fits before the Knights really took over. Yeah, it was definitely a, a, you know a, a little bit of a shock. I think the first uh, you know first couple of games, but uh, you know they. They've had phenomenal goaltending uh, in Las Vegas, and, and that's continued into the next round from from Robin Leonard, and that has really uh, set them up well to allow their their star-studded top six to really put up some points. Um, so you know it's hard to argue with the formula they got working for them right now. Well, AJ, let's talk about the goaltending situation with Vegas so far in these playoffs. Robin Leonard has really taken the bit and and run with it uh, over. Marc-Andre Fleury, I know that, that must sting you a little bit as a big fan of the former Pens netminder. But Leonard, if, uh, the reason why I'm hearing that he got the nod over Chicago is that uh, he was certainly motivated to play against his uh, former mates. And, uh, and uh, so that, that was an incentive that uh, they dangled the carrot in front of him and he certainly helped deliver the goods. And then when he, you move on to the Vancouver series, a look at, at the history that Leonard has against the Canucks and with the first game result, he's played them three times and he shut them out all three times. So I think it's a matchup driven situation. But you can bet that if he slips up a bit, we're going to see Mark Andre Fleury in these playoffs. I, I do believe at some point. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, you know, I thought it was interesting the other day, Paul. I don't know if you caught it on social media. Fleury's agent tweeted oh, yeah. out that uh, that picture of Fleury being stabbed in the back by by DeBoer effectively. And uh, it was interesting that you know they apparently just had a chuckle over it. You know, Fleury had uh, you know by all accounts no part in that, and so. Um, you know, it's, it was certainly interesting to see when when they got there. And, you know, I, I do think maybe there's something to that is that you had Pete DeBoer comes in. He has no real um, previous ties to Marc-Andre Fleury. And so he's coming in with a new perspective. And maybe he 
was more willing and so far right rightfully so to start Robin Leonard than than uh, you know perhaps the the uh, Gallant would have been as he was a little bit more uh, invested in Flurry. Yeah, you mentioned the coach there, Pete DeBoer. He's really gone out on a limb here. I mean, he was public enemy number one before he even got to Vegas, and then and then he just furthers the case by alienating alienating the fans of Mark Andre Fleury uh, with this decision. But uh, you got to believe that if the Knights go far and maybe get to the Stanley Cup, this is a gutsy call. And uh, maybe at that point, DeBoer will win over the fan base. But he's, it's a risky, risky play uh, media-wise that he's playing right now with a popular, the popular netminder there who has two years to run on his contract. This is going to create quite a headache in the offseason if Leonard does go far. And then you've got Vegas having to pay Mark Andre Fleury for a couple of years. You wonder if maybe he... He will ask for uh, an exit, uh, maybe to the next franchise that's starting up in in Seattle. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? As they look for a signature piece, and uh, so that creates some intrigue around the Knights. But they're all business on the ice, and you said at the top six, they're uh, chugging along. And uh, if you pick these guys in DFS, they're going to score uh, a lot of points in these playoffs. That top six, and don't sleep on the defense with Theodore and Nate Schmidt. They've been very steady as well so uh, things are chugging along for the Knights and they they really ran roughshod over the Hawks in the last few games to uh, win that one going away Arizona and Colorado AJ we both nailed this call actually we didn't do very well in the first round let's let's uh, cut to the chase <laughs> there we we won four and we lost four each of us but uh, we did pick a couple of upsets along the way this one though was not in the upset category the uh, the avalanche uh, rolled over the the coyotes the coyotes went into this matchup thinking that they could shut down the colorado offense it really didn't work out that way and uh, so far on the colorado side there's one player that looks like the best player in these in this postseason that's nate mckinnon oh absolutely and i i think you know there were just too many holes in this this arizona squad you know you've got a phil castle who hasn't you know is coming off a, honestly a bad year um, you know, defensively, their guys didn't really contribute to the level that that I think you would hope for. And I think that was part of their entire season. Um, and yeah, to your point, Colorado and, and Nathan McKinnon are just charging through, uh, at least in up until uh, most recent game for them. But uh, they've been just kind of charging through the playoffs. You know, McKinnon through 10 games, seven goals, 11 helpers, uh, and eight of those points coming on the power play. It's just, it's hard to stop. And I, you know, Arizona just wasn't suited to match up with them at all. And then I recall early in the season, the top six uh, was projected to look exactly like it does now, but it took the, the Avs a while to get back there because of injuries to the top line. Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog are back on the wings with McKinnon at the center position. And Nazem Kadri, who's a very nice playoff, is anchoring that second line with uh, other guys that came from other teams in Burakovsky and Donskoy to fill out that top six, a very formidable top six. And... Uh, Kale McCarr continues to drive the offense from the back end. In the Nets, though, there's a bit of a concern with Pavel Francouz having to take over from Philip Grubauer. That looks like it could be a long-term situation, AJ. But Francouz uh, did uh, did look pretty good in some of the games that he's taken, taken over. So I wonder how much of a drop-off there is in the Colorado circumstance. Maybe you want to comment on that situation a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, the latest indication is out indefinitely for for Grubauer and for Eric Johnson, which is um, a a bit of an even bigger concern in a lot of ways. He's 
you know, we've talked a, a lot about how his offensive game isn't quite what it used to be early in his career, but he's a shutdown defenseman uh, and really a, a you know top four guy for them. So that's going to stretch the defense. It's going to open Francouz up to more shots. Um, and so really it's, it's kind of a bad combination to lose uh, one of your number one defensemen uh, and, and one of your, your, you know, your number one goalie, obviously. So um, they'll have to figure something out. Uh, this team can obviously win in a shootout when the offense is rolling. So that might have to be uh, what we're looking at the rest of the day way for them. If they win games, it's going to be in high scoring contests, I think. Exactly. I think you're right. Well, the next two series in the, on the Western side, we didn't agree uh, on those outcomes and we each got one of them right and one of them wrong. So uh, overall, we did OK, I guess. But uh, <laughs> there was food for thought in the Calgary versus Dallas matchup. I called the Stars in seven. AJ, you called the, the Flames in five, and the Dallas wound up taking this series in six games. It obviously turned with an injury situation with Matthew Chuchuk in there, but there was uh, intrigue for me in the goaltending choices made by Calgary in this series. They rode Cam Talbot, and uh, big save Dave was left to a relief appearance, and for what it's worth, I did say I thought we'd see all four goalies in the series, and we did. That was a side bet I should have made with you. But it was a bit of a cameo for Riddich, and I thought that he could have been used a little bit more just to change things up when things started to go south for, for Calgary. They didn't use that bullet, and uh, I wonder why. Uh, I wonder out loud because Riddich was a, a key part of that tandem, and he was all but overlooked in this postseason. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you look at his one one appearance, he gave up three goals on nine shots. I mean, that's not exactly no. a ringing endorsement for, for a guy getting more ice time. So uh, I actually, you know, I was surprised that they went with Talbot in game one. But again, I, I've talked about the fact that this is a guy that previously played in 73 games and had 40 wins in a season. There's something there, um, whether or not they can maximize it. Uh, and get everything they can out of them remains to be seen. They'll have to make that decision heading into next season. Talbot's going to be an unrestricted free agent here. And, uh, you know, whether they want to keep them in Calgary, do they want to make a trade with a team that's shipping, you know, potentially shipping out a goaltender, um, you know, Pittsburgh, <coughs> Pittsburgh, um, you know, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I, I, I think the biggest surprise to me coming out of this whole series uh, had nothing to do with actually the on ice stuff. It's that suddenly Johnny Gaudreau's name is coming up as a as a trade piece. I mean, look, I I, I certainly think they could get good value out of him. They could get a, a solid return, but you will not convince me, regardless of who they got for him. I, you know, I just don't think there's anybody that they would get for uh, Johnny Gaudreau on the trade market that would make this team better than where they are now with him. So it just I, I was really surprised by that. Um, I don't know if you what you think on that one, Paul, but that, that one caught me off guard. Well, I think you're looking at a guy who had a subpar season in the regular part of the, the campaign, 58 points in 70 games, well below his career pace, and the minus 10, an unsightly number. So it's th that bunch of numbers, and uh, let's face it, he didn't light it up in the postseason either. So uh, I think people have soured a little bit on him uh, unjustly I think you're looking at a guy the resume before last year was very solid one of the top scorers top young scorers top dynamic players in the league and uh, I think it's a it's a tough circumstance for for him right now to be uh, facing that deluge but he mirrors the situation here in Toronto with Mitch Marner taking the same kind of bullets from the local media that I don't understand at all these guys are 90 point players and uh, 
flashy guys who put uh, take the fans out of their seats regularly on a nightly basis. And uh, Gaudreau, a frontliner with the Calgary, on merit. He's one of the stars in this league, and uh, I don't really get it. But uh, maybe they're looking to shake things up there and, uh, and go for a little more balance in Calgary. That's the only thing I can think of. But uh, the winning team relied on some goaltending, too, and, and it was the second stringer that delivered the goods, Anton Kudobin, having to step into the breach for uh, Brian Bishop. Uh, he, he Bishop uh, was hurt and is still out of the lineup, but Kudobin is playing some of the best hockey of his career right now. This guy's been one of the better backups in the league for a few years, AJ, but uh, now that he's front and center, he's making a real strong bid for more employment there. Yeah, obviously, you know, I, you mentioned that you thought you'd see, we'd see all, all four, and I think uh, health, if Ben Bishop was healthy, we would not have seen Anton Kudobin. I will maintain that, that stance, but obviously Kudobin has um, done well. Uh, 0.921 save percentage in his nine appearances here so far in the postseason. So uh, what more can you ask for, right, out of a guy stepping in? Um, I, at this point, I... I don't know if you would shake things up and put Bishop in if he comes back healthy. I think, uh, you know, for for the most part, I would say Bishop's the better netminder and, and the guy you would want. But Kudobin's been rolling so well for them. Maybe you just stick with it until he slips. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it uh, once, if and when Bishop, uh, you know, is fully fit. Now, this Dallas team, A.J., has impressed me. I think I called him Brian Bishop. It's Ben Bishop, Brian's brother, I guess, that <laughs> was out of lineup for, for the Stars. But, again, we look at the lineup that uh, Dallas is putting up, and the first line that uh, really was a dynamic piece of this team uh, in the last couple of seasons was reunited, too, in these playoffs, and that's Tyler Sagan at center with Jamie Benn and Radiloff on his wings. Radiloff is a guy I got a lot of time for, AJ. This guy's a heart and soul player, plays with a ton of grit, and uh, I think every winning team needs needs at least a couple of players like that but uh, i'm also impressed by a guy that you have a lot of time for and that's joe pavelski he's had an outstanding playoff maybe one of the most significant turnarounds from a middling regular season but he's uh, lit it up in the postseason with seven goals already and on his right wing dennis gurianov has been very steady too he had an explosive game in one of the games earlier in the series so the the depth that uh, the stars have at forward is not something that they highlighted much of the season but uh, they've been able to because uh, the tandem of Rupe Hintz and Corey Perry has even looked good on a third line so they've stretched their offense and uh, along with a stifling defensive posture this Dallas Stars team is a team that people got to look out for in my opinion. And the final series on the uh, west side, it was between Vancouver and St. Louis, the defending cup champions. I thought they would make short work of the Canucks, but you had some in extra insight, AJ, so maybe I'll let you talk about this series. You had the, the right call, Vancouver in six. Uh, what made you feel that way, and uh, why did it turn out this way, do you think? Well, I think, number one, uh, you know, the the Blues looked, frankly, just bad in the first, uh, in the play-in rounds. They didn't win any of those games. Their net minding was questionable at best. Um, you know, we ended up seeing Jake Allen there uh, towards the end. Uh, you know, Jordan Bennington went 0-5 in five appearances here, a .851 save percentage. I mean, I, I've been waiting the last couple of days to find out he had some sort of injury that he was playing through or, or something because he just did not look good, um, to be perfectly blunt about it. So between those three games there, 
that that they struggled with. Uh, the fact that Tarasenko got hurt again. Um, you know, I know that happened a little bit later in the series, but uh, that obviously was a factor that that didn't help them out. And look, I just love that one of Vancouver's. Uh, you know, technically it's their second line, but Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, J.T. Miller. If you've read any of the you know DFS breakdowns I've been doing twice a week, I pretty much have them listed on there anytime I do one of those. But those guys have just been rolling so well. Now in this upcoming series, we'll talk about that more. I have some concerns, but um, you know, for those three guys on one side, um, you've got Quinn Hughes on the back line for Vancouver, uh, and that, that's not even mentioning their you know established guy Alex Edler. I, I just think everything is was is clicking for Vancouver and, and everything was falling off the rails for, for St. Louis. So for, you know, for me, it felt like a pretty straightforward call, especially after those three, uh, um, round robin games just did not go well for the blues. Yeah. uh, There's a couple of series here where I thought that the, the better team would just kind of flip the switch. And I thought the blues would definitely qualify for that. That's why I was a little more expecting a lot more from them in that series, but uh, all credit to Vancouver. They, uh, they were on fire. They really upped the speed uh, portion of the game. And I think that's an element that turned the series because uh, St. Louis for all that their experience is a team that needs to be physical and check you into the ice. And they didn't get an opportunity because they had a difficult time catching the, the faster Vancouver skaters, I'll say that. So uh, with that, we move over to the eastern side, uh, AJ, beginning with a series between Montreal and Philadelphia, which pitted a goalie against his uh, goalie hero. And uh, the the youngster prevailed in this set as Carey Price did all he could. Uh, I got this call right on. I picked the Flyers in six. You thought that they'd dispatch Montreal a little bit quicker, but it did go six games, and uh, that was largely on the back of Carey Price because Montreal's offense just couldn't dent the armor of of uh, the opposition goalie in the Philadelphia Nets, uh, Carter Hart. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the goal totals for uh, for the Flyers through the first four games. You've got two, zero, one, two. I mean, Carey Price did everything except score goals on the other end of the ice. I mean, this it, I think it was a great performance by him. Um, you know, and and even game five, three goals allowed. Game six, three goals allowed. What more do you want? out of a veteran netminder like that at some point somebody else has to do something and and they just didn't weren't able um you know to to find that and you know i i think uh it's it speaks to basically that that sums up this series sums up carrie price's career i think (laughs) great solid net mining and has just never had enough help to get this team where where they want to go and that's why they haven't won the cup since 1993 and really, in a lot of years, have been kind of a non-factor in the postseason. Um, I, I, I feel bad for him, honestly. And, you know, I, I think he's probably happy there, enjoys playing there. But, man, what would it be like to see Carey Price get moved to a contender? That would just be awesome for him uh, to be able to close out his career in the last couple of days and possibly finally win a Stanley Cup. I don't think it's going to happen in Montreal. And uh, let's clear the air, mostly for the benefit of a laugh to our friend in Las Vegas, uh, real kid poker, Daniel Negrano. I'm going to say it. Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi offer the Canadians a lot of hope for the future. I think they've found a t- uh, two dynamic players to play in the middle of the ice. Kotkaniemi particularly improved by leaps and bounds over what I saw from him in stretches during the regular season. It's just uh, looking like he's morphing into the player that 
they thought they had when they drafted him very high in a, in a recent draft year. So they're looking pretty decent at center ice all of a sudden with Suzuki and Kotkaniemi and even Philip Deneau, the top three guys in the middle. But they have to be disappointed, continue to be disappointed by Jonathan Drouin looks completely lost out there for me, AJ. And Max Domi was used very curiously in this series, never factoring in to a top six role, which is a surprise for me because this guy, I think, is a heart and soul type player, uh, could be, should be on the Montreal Canadiens and was not uh, not used very well in that setup for me. But uh, the the outcome that was perhaps most surprising is the fact that the Canadians have not only just two players, but three on the defensive side of the puck who were really key factors there. We all know about Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie, but Ben Sherratt also improved his lot as a shutdown defender who really uh, shone in this series as well. So they, they started to call these guys the trident uh, on the back end of the, the Montreal blue line. I'm thinking they're, they're hoping that they can one day compare them to the big three that they had in their glory days way back when, but this group's not that close, believe me, but uh, they're formidable on the defensive side of the puck in any case, and that helped keep the numbers down on Carey Price. As far as the Flyers are concerned, AJ, sure, they got through this series, and, uh, you know, they have some players that did well uh, in the postseason, but for me, I have to be a little bit concerned with the way Claude Giroux has played between the uh, preliminary round and the last series. The guy hasn't scored a goal yet. He's got only three assists, I think, in a total of nine games. And the relegated to third line uh, situation over there, I think that's the one thing I'm concerned about on the Flyers' offense. They've got to get more out of, out of a guy who is their, their on-ice leader normally, and uh, they're not getting it right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, through through the first couple of games here, you got Borsak leading the way with with four goals, uh, three of them coming on the power play. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And yeah, so, you, we, you know, we talked about several months ago, we talked about Seattle cracking and, and what that might look like. Um, and, and I will agree. I think I, I'd have to go back and look. I think Suzuki might be uh, a pro- protected. They may not have to move him because of his age there, but uh, maybe they do save Kotkiniemi. And then, uh, you know, if I'm picking a player off the top of my head here, I would say maybe they let either Yoel Armia or Arturi Lekanen be exposed in, instead. Maybe Jonathan Druin. You were talking, you were just talking about the the disappointing uh, seasons he has. So, yeah, I, I will I will concede to Daniel Negreanu that perhaps Kotkiniemi should be added to the uh, the keeper list here. He, he's got to feel happy. A couple of mea culpas going out to Vegas this morning. <laughs> Cal, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets versus Tampa Lightning. Look, Columbus impressed both of us in the opening round against the Maple Leafs, and I thought they were going to continue in the second round. You agreed. We had them eking out a seven-game win, but Tampa was one of those teams that apparently was able to flip the switch, and they did it without Steven Stamkos in the lineup, AJ, which was uh, a shocker. And and before the season series started, it even looked like Victor Hedman was going to be out, but uh, Tampa overcame these circumstances to win this series very quickly. What else was a part of that recipe for you, and uh, what happened to Columbus? Well, I think it's important to note that none of these games were uh, by any means like huge wins for Tampa. I think any one of these games could have gone slightly differently. And then we have a longer series. You know, you talk about a team winning in five, you expect it to be pretty dominant. Well, the only game that ended by more than a one goal lead was the one game that Columbus won when they won by two. So uh, these were very close games. I think, you know, a little bit of puck luck in, in one situation, uh, a couple different, you know, one or two plays here or there where a guy 
you know, does something better defensively, doesn't hit the post, it goes in instead. And, and this is a different series. Um, but Tampa Bay did look really good. They got solid net mining from Vasilevsky, which is exactly what um, this team is kind of built around. I know they have plenty of stars and studs there, but, um, you know, it, it they they built around a, a, a world-class netminder, and there's no better way to build a team, in my opinion. <laughs> so uh, I, I think all the things uh, went their way that they needed to go their way. They worked hard. They got the wins. Um, but I do think it was a lot closer series than, than a five-game uh, you know, five set would, would indicate. Then we move on to the Islanders and Washington. And this was a case that, to me, this was all about Barry Trotz getting the last laugh in that circumstance of course you remember that he was their coach when they when they won the cup in washington but he parlayed that into a nice deal uh as he became basically a coaching free agent and he went off to the islanders and has turned that team into a defensive uh, juggernaut they've really shut down the washington offense and uh, aj this is a series that fooled both of us we had washington win it in six but uh Barry Trotz coached, outcoached his uh, opposite number, the guy that succeeded him, and Todd Reardon lost his job at the end of this. Was it mostly about coaching for you and the defend the ability of the Islanders to really shut things down? This uh, you look at the play, uh, the regular season. The Islanders were ten points behind the Caps in the standings, and uh, I I didn't see this one coming. But the Islanders made it look really easy. Yeah, I mean, you, again, to, to the reverse side of it, you talk about, you know, the, the Islanders won 4-2, nothing. you know, they, they really uh, took it to them. And I have to wonder if Ted Leonidas is regretting not paying Barry Trotz the money. You know, he thinks, oh, I'm not going to pay Barry Trotz. I'll have Todd Reardon step in. Everything will be fine. Well, two years later, no Barry Trotz, no Todd Reardon either for uh for washington so uh i i think you're right about uh, the defensive side of it but the islanders certainly put up some points in this one you know you look at some numbers here you know i I, i'm not i'm not a huge proponent of plus minus but sometimes there's things that just strike you um john carlson no goals six assists in his five games a minus 11 like that's concerning from your top defenseman um tj oshie three goals a minus seven uh, Alexander Ovechkin only had five points in eight games. Now, for a lot of players, five points in eight games would be amazing. Um, but when you're talking about one of the greatest goal scorers, perhaps uh, ever, or at least of this generation, uh, you know, you, you expect more, right, in the postseason. So I do think there were some problems with Washington, but I don't think it was totally a defensive game from the Islanders. They certainly have been putting up some points, and they've got guys that are really producing for me, it's the second line, the Bailey Bolivier um, line that's that's really leading the charge here for them. Yeah, but to your point, AJ, the scoring was balanced there. They, were, they had a lot of guys that had four and five points in that that five game series, so they they nibbled away and and they got production from from all all guys in the top six, you can say. And uh, the defense really has looked like the defense did earlier in the year. I know I beat this drum hard, but. When they had the injury to Adam Pellick earlier on, that really disrupted the structure here. They've got that back in place, and Pellick and Pullock are one of the top shutdown pairs once again in the league. But Nick Letty has, has turned things around, and even Andy Green, the veteran pairing there. So they got a solid top four, and then they've got 
the depth of Devin Taves and Scott Mayfield rounding out a pretty decent six-pack there. And, of course, behind them, Semyon Varlamov's had a pretty strong playoff as well uh, behind that defensive structure. But, uh, boy, I was telling you before we got, went to air, can you imagine if there's two defensive teams like Dallas and the Islanders in the NHL Stanley Cup showcase? That <laughs> might be an unwatchable final if, if we look at it. could turn into a soccer series, AJ, in terms of the, the scoring that we might project in that matchup. The final series that we're going to look at is another one that turned out to be a bit of a surprise for both of us. We had Carolina winning this. I had them in seven, and you had them in six, largely on the fact that... Uh, I think in the preliminary games in the first round, the play-in series, Carolina was one of the most uh, promising-looking clubs top to bottom uh, as we uh, looked ahead. And they were going to get Dougie Hamilton back in, in, the, in fine shape too. So we had them winning that series. But the Bruins, who looked abysmal in, in their round-robin series, they were the ones that turned it around. And the perfection line was front and center there. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, obviously the the decision was made to split the nets for Carolina in this series. I'm not sure that I would have made that call. Um, You know, Mrazek, his numbers aren't terrible, you know, other than the fact that he had three losses in all three games. But his goals against 2.4, that's that's 2.44 rather. That's certainly uh, decent enough when you think about the talent that Carolina has. They should be able to score three goals a night. Um, you know, 0.924 save percentage for him, you know, so I, I'm not sure I really like the call to, to split the net mining situation. I know Reimer had some really good games and, and they had some back to backs that kind of made it a factor, but um, it, it just was a bit of a puzzling situation to me. I, I For me, if you want to switch goaltenders between a series based on matchup and, and how that looks, I, I can certainly understand that. If you want to switch because one guy has a, a, a terrible game and you want to see what the other guy can offer you, I can see that too. But flipping every other night, you know, just doesn't make sense. And you see that in the Islanders all season long. They had uh, Varlamov and Grice kind of split the nets. They, you know, divided the workload, got to the postseason. It's been all Varlamov and it was supposed to be all Rask for Boston, uh, I think, heading into this. And then, obviously, circumstances changed there as well, and we're seeing Halak now. Um, But I I just didn't like the every-other-night thing. Well, I I don't think this series was won or lost in the Carolina series, AJ. I'll say that. I just think that their second line was rather invisible when you consider Vinny Trocek was brought in to boost that that unit and Justin Williams came back all fired up to lead this team to a playoff run they really didn't uh, do their part beyond so beyond that dynamic duo front of of Aho and Teravainen and then Svechnikov before he got hurt uh, adding to that mix uh, they didn't get a lot from the bottom nine in that the forward ranks and uh, Dougie Hamilton despite his return wasn't a, a difference maker ultimately that I thought he could be in this series and uh, heading up a pretty strong looking six pack on the blue line so once again poor Jake Gardner has to shake hands with the Bruins on the losing side <laughs> of the series there I feel bad for that guy he's gonna have nightmares about the spoke B for the rest of his life unless that changes around AJ but uh, with that you know we also have to mention that Tuka Rask left the Boston uh, team uh, because of a family situation we wish him well on the home front there certainly but uh, his backup uh, is an experienced guy Yarrow Halak we can't go on without mentioning how great he's looked in this postseason yeah I mean he's undefeated in four straight games so 
uh, hard to beat that in, in terms of production here and uh, really has been uh, pretty pretty dominating at, at this point. So um, I, I think we'll see, uh, you know, Boston uh, is going to be hard to beat. I, I think you're right, Paul. They, for whatever reason, didn't have it during the, the round robin. And you have to wonder if they had been playing meaningful games, if they had been in one of the playing series, you have to wonder if they would have gotten bounced um, in a in a five game series with just how you know bad they played during those round robins, but that was the benefit afforded to them because they uh, were in the top four in in the Eastern Conference and and they you know were able to play through whatever issues they were having and, and now look great. Yeah, and uh, so they were one of the teams that was able to f- were able to flip a switch. I, I don't like that as a recipe, uh, AJ. I think you really got to build towards something with with a, a decent effort right from the beginning. Otherwise, you might not go anywhere. But the Bruins are, are bucking that trend. And as we go ahead and look into the second ra- the quarterfinal matchups in the conference uh, series, the the conclusion there was that Boston was one of the few teams that was able to change things around. But let's look at the conference semifinal matchups now. Now, AJ, and there's some compelling matchups that unfolded over the weekend here, and uh, one of them was the Boston Bruins meeting the Tampa Lightning, and Steven Stamkos is still out of the lineup for for the Bolts here, so that's a that's a key factor in this series as we look at it. But uh, the goalie matchup now features Halak versus Vasilevsky. What's your thoughts on that situation? Well, look, I think I think on paper, if you ask me, you know, in in any other time who I would rather have or who I think would give them the edge, it obviously would have to be Andre Vasilevsky. And his numbers have not been bad, but I think Halak has just been playing so well lately that it's really hard to, to bet against him. You know, there is, uh, if you want to dive into it a little bit, there's maybe a concerning trend. Vasilevsky's given up seven goals in his last two games. Um, and so that that's obviously a bit of a concern. And you look at the numbers previously during the Columbus series, uh, you take that first game out, uh, the one that went into, you know, five overtimes or or whatever it was, his shots faced are pretty low. You're talking about 22 in in game two, 17 in game three. Um, and, And so, you know, there really are some pretty low numbers where he wasn't tested much. And I don't think that's going to happen with Boston. Boston will put pucks on the net, and he's going to have to face some more shots. And so far in the postseason, the results haven't been great when you get uh, you know pucks to the net on him. Well, I agree with you, and I think Halak has narrowed that gap. And really, when you look at the body of work in his playoff career, he's been very solid. So he just hasn't got the notoriety because he hasn't had the opportunity playing alongside Tuka Rask, who is the name recognition guy, obviously, in the Boston circumstance. But make no mistake, Halak's been to the dance before, and he looked good when he got there. And this looks like another season where that's the case. Uh, When we look at the blue line, AJ, I'm looking at the Boston blue line and thinking, I expected much more from Tori Krug and, and Charlie McAvoy in this postseason. Combined in that last series, they totaled, I think, four or five assists, but no goals between them, and really not driving the power play like they did during the regular season. So I look for that to change as they continue to get more reps, but uh, that, that's an area where, where Boston's been a little bit shortchanged in terms of the dynamic nature of their blue line. On the flip side, you look at the, the Tampa team, and uh, before he got hurt, I, I thought Ryan McDonough was coming into his own and reminding 
a lot of people how, how effective he was as a, a two-way defender in uh, in the New York Rangers sweater. And uh, But he's listed as day-to-day now, AJ. I don't know if you have any more of an update there, but they're getting yeoman work from a guy who I thought was not going to make it into that last series for a while, and that's Victor Hedman, who's looking like an all-star caliber player. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev, I think, has taken a bit of a step backward in this postseason so far. Not seeing the development that I thought from him. So I'm mentioning the guys that have a DFS upside here with the, the names that I highlight on both sides. Some of them are doing well. Others not living up to the press clippings. I mean, you expressed some some concerns with Boston in, in their first round uh, or, you know, play in whatever series. Um, and and I, I totally agree. I, I think there are some question marks there. Tory Krug, I agree, should be doing better. Charlie McAvoy. But I'm actually more concerned about the, the lightning defense. You know, Victor Hedman doing fine, exactly what you expect. You know, five points in nine games. Um, only one of those has come on the power play. So if there's, you know, a, a bit of a concern, it's maybe that. But, yeah, absolutely, Mikhail Sergeyev, I would have expected way more than one assist in nine contests. And then if McDonough is hurt, so got hurt in, in, the, in game one, skipped the optional skate yesterday, so that's about all we have to go off of in terms of news on him. I would imagine we probably won't know more until the teams take the ice for warm-ups. That's been the kind of unfortunate circumstance, uh, the unfortunate downside to the bubble. Um, has been the kind of lack of early you know news earlier in the day um, and and I think that could really stretch them in a way that they don't necessarily want to happen you know Jan Ruta has been out for for much of it so then you're looking at Braden Colburn or Luke Shen jumping into the the lineup here um, and and I just don't think they have the same shutdown capabilities as as a Ryan McDonough so I I'm very worried about that and the fact that Sergeyev has not produced uh, really at all in this postseason. Well, AJ, so there are some question marks on the blue line, and there would normally have been a very big question mark uh, along the Tampa offense when Steven Samkos is listed still as day-to-day. Uh, I'll let you get into what the latest is there, but uh, they've reconfigured their forward lines as a result, and so joining Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov as a must-start in DFS formats for me is Andre Palat, AJ. Uh, if you're looking for a cheap option to fill in there, this guy, as long as he's riding shotgun with those two guys, is a compelling choice uh, to fit in. And uh, the other reason why uh, Tampa is able to ride out the Stamkos absence is because Alex Kalorn fills in as another veteran on the left side. So they have some good depth there. Anthony Sirali coming into his own as a, a strong two-way pivot is the center there. But Tyler Johnson's the guy who's moved up in class, AJ, and I've been calling for this for a long while. So I'm happy to see that he's listed as the second-line right wing because he's a dynamic forward who's a key part of the offense there and, and the power play when it's clicking. But you can't sleep on the third line, and that's been a real a strong contributor in the postseason as as the uh, light rebuilt that group with a couple of trades late in the regular season. Blake Coleman and Barkley Cadreau coming in to fit alongside Gord. And Gord, for his part, is getting some special teams time as well. So a good uh, cheap cheap DFS option there, Yanni Gord, in addition. And on the Boston side, look at David Krejci's a guy I thought that he was going to have a lot you know a bit of a lagging performance in this postseason but the Wiley veteran has now moved up to second place uh, I think uh, on the 
on the playoff scoring of the Bruins in the last 20 years, uh, I, I believe, is, is the thing that I saw. One of their top scoring uh, centers in the postseason over that time uh, is having another great start to this one. And uh, Jake DeBrusque, uh, another guy who, who has played better in the postseason than at times that he did during the regular season, is bolstering a second unit behind that perfection line. David Pasternak back in the fold, uh, giving them a tremendous boost. But I think there's question marks on the right wing, AJ, with Andre Kasha and Anders Bjork fighting for that opportunity. Uh, what do you see there in terms of the depth on the Boston side? Well, let's start there with your opinion to see how how that should unfold. And are, are we waiting for Charlie Coyle to uh, to make a contribution as well? Yeah, I think the the interesting thing on on that spot is I've seen you know a, a couple names tossed out. You know, Anders Bjork. Uh, being able to play the right side, but I've seen even suggestions that Nick Ritchie should be moved over to that side. And and yeah, as you said, Charlie Coyle has played some wing at point at points in his career. Uh, the question mark is, does that stretch you know the 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 depth a little bit too much? And you know, Jack Studenica has gotten looks. Carson Coolman. I mean, they've tried a whole bunch of things over there, and and they'll have to see. I, I think we're still going to see kind of shuffling around, but look for this team, it starts and stops with that first line. We saw it in the the round robin; they didn't play up to snuff, and the team struggled. And so that's going to be, I think, what we have to expect for the rest of the way. Now, I know, uh, you know, David Krejci is actually the one leading the way in terms of point production, so I don't want to completely dismiss their second line. Um, but it is going to be up to those top guys. And and to go back to Tampa, Paul, I think. You know, you really keyed in on something that, that I'll be looking at, and that's that Tampa third line, um, especially in terms of DFS production. If, if Boston's kind of top-heavy, I think that gives Tampa the opportunity to match up really well with that third line and give them some opportunities to score. Now, you look at DFS, uh, I'll, I'll use FanDuel pricing here. Uh, you've got Gord 36, Coleman 36, and Gaudreau 33. I mean, that's a pretty cheap line that has actually put up some decent points here in the postseason. It's, you know, it's not uh, it's not like you're going off just, uh, you know, an on paper consideration here. Gaudreau's got uh, two points. Coleman's got three. Gord has four. Um, and so really uh, something to consider um, whether, you know, whatever format you're playing in terms of DFS is really take a hard look at that Tampa third line. And that leads us to our call for this series, AJ. I'm calling the Bruins in six. I, I think the, the Tampa situation without Steven Stankos, that's, they need all hands on deck to compete with the Bruins, and that's a big piece missing from the lineup. And the Bruins showed that that perfection line is rolling again, so I'm comfortable in saying the Bruins will take this series over their arch rivals. What do you say? I'm tempted to switch it just to not agree with you um, <laughs> because I could see Tampa pulling this one off and and I, I think there are some things about that team that that are, there are to like but um, Boston seems to be on track Yaroslav Halak is playing some of the best hockey of his career in my in my opinion um, I'm going to say Boston in seven uh, because I do think there's there are things to really like about Tampa and I think they can make it an extended series here Moving on to the second Eastern semifinal, and that's the Islanders against the Flyers. Again, a couple of arch rival clubs. And the goalie matchup, AJ, why don't you lead us into that situation, talking about the guys who will defend the Nets for their teams. Yeah, so, I mean, for, for Philadelphia, it's going to be the Carter Hart show. Um, I know he got a, a bit uh, exposed last, uh, you know, last game, gave up the, the four goals there. Um, you know, I think... They're 
there is maybe a point to the discussion of 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 maybe do you get Brian Elliott there? He he got into the game in relief, um, and so you know there was uh, he he got a little bit of uh, appearance there, but I, or actually no, I'm sorry, I was looking at a, a different game. He didn't come into that four-year-old game. Um, he did make a relief appearance previously, right? So I I can see maybe having a discussion about that, but look at the end of the day, it's Carter Hart's net. He's done enough to get a little bit of leeway when he stumbles there on, on the flip side, we're going to see Varlamov. Uh, I think no matter what, I, I really don't expect we'll see Thomas Grice push him much. Uh, he's Varlamov's played all 10 games. He's eight and two in those outings, a 0.941 save percentage. Uh, again, this is another guy that if he has a bad game has certainly earned the right to bounce back. So I don't anticipate we'll see anybody other than those two uh, barring an injury here. Yeah, you look at Varlamov's game log, there's only one game where he's even surrendered as many as three goals against. So I talked about the, the tight defensive structure that the Islanders are offering, and boy, they're just wash, rinse, repeat so far in this postseason with Varlamov actually coming off the two shutouts uh, for, for in a row. So uh, all things are pointing to uh, the Islanders being able to, del- to continue to deliver that kind of stifling performance. The Flyers have to find a way to overcome it. But uh, for me, uh, the, the, we've talked about the Islanders' defense, but I can't, I can't sleep on the Flyers' six-pack on the back end either, AJ. I really like the back end that the Flyers can put up uh, against any team on a nightly basis. They've, they're developing one of the better depth components there. Travis Sankheim raising his game. Ivan Provorov and Matt Niskanen are the guys that really carry the mail for this club. And Shane Gostisbehere looks a little stronger than he has been for much of the regular season of late. And that leaves Philippe Myers and Justin Braun to round things out. And you could almost start most uh, teams in the top with those two guys in their top four. So that speaks to the overall depth that the Flyers offer. I think I gave a pretty good rundown on the, the Islanders side earlier. So I'll leave it to you to fill in the gaps, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, to, to your point, the, the Islanders um, don't have necessarily anybody that uh, is going to wow you uh, offensively on that, on that blue line. Um, they have certainly gotten some production out of, out of Pollock and, and Taze and, and, and maybe a little out of Letty, but uh, they don't have the, the big-name guy that, that you really expect, and I think that's okay. Um, we haven't really seen Johnny Boychuk yet. I don't know how he factors into this mix once, uh, you know, once he's healthy, which all indications are he's at least available to play tonight. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see if they shuffle the deck. I certainly wouldn't. On the heels of a 4 nothing win, uh, I'm sorry, Johnny Boychuk. I don't care how healthy you are and ready to go. Uh, I'm not putting anybody else into that lineup that, that didn't play in the previous game. On the flip side, you know, the, the Flyers uh, – have been getting uh, some, you know, again, similar, a, a little bit of production, but no real big names here. You know, you've got Sam Hine and Provorov at four points apiece. So uh, it's a pretty unheralded, uh, you know, defensive group uh, overall. Um, I would expect Shane Gossibear will probably go back uh, to the to the press box there with Matt Niskanen um, available and ready. So, uh, there's there's just not you know in terms of DFS here there's not a lot that I really love. Um, now I will say sometimes it makes sense to punt on on the defensive position if especially in these kind of two two game slates that we've been seeing lately. Well I did that last night 
Uh, I punted by taking Philippi Myers, and he had a bunch of block shots, some shots on goal, and really, um, for his price tag, put up some really solid numbers and helped me cash last night. So um, punting uh, especially works when you get you know kind of that uh, unheralded production from some of these guys. Well, AJ, let's look at the forward ranks here where there, I think on paper there's a bit of a disparity in favor of the Flyers. You may tend to disagree, but uh, it's not as wide a gap when you consider that. I already mentioned Claude Giroux not having a great playoff, but certainly capable of turning things around. Kevin Hayes and Scott Lawton, uh, they don't play on the same lines, but they've both impressed me for the Flyers so far this postseason. I could say the same for Joel, Joel Farabee, but there, there are guys, and uh, you mentioned Jake Voracek, but Sean Couturier needs to raise his game. Michael Raffle and Travis Konechny also have to step up. So I'm, I'm counting on the fact that those guys, some of those guys will wake up, but it just highlights the number of names that, that the Flyers can throw at, throw at you who have that offensive capability and we didn't see it at all in the first game and if the Islanders can keep these guys under wraps that's going to go a long way to them possibly taking this series but on the Islanders side of the equation Matthew Barzell and Brock Nelson John Gabriel Peugeot it's a pretty good uh, trio of centers that they can offer and I've spoken many times glowingly of Jordan Eberle's hockey IQ and Josh Bailey one of the top playmaking wingers in this league so there are pieces there on the island that you can't sleep on offensively either and Anders Lee Anthony Beauvillier uh, two game breakers in terms of speed on the left side and then uh, that third line Cal Clutterbuck and Leo Komarov rounding it out that could be a real grinder unit and uh, then you even got the fourth line that uh, is a disturber group with Matt Martin and Casey Sezikis featured there and uh, didn't mention Derek Broussard he's relegated to press box duty and the same for Andrew Ladd so uh, it's a shame that those veterans can't find a way to contribute here because that would give the Islanders a, a different dimension but they may not even need it if they can keep playing this shutdown style of hockey that's the real question for me AJ I don't know if they can against the depth that the Flyers will throw out throw at them on a nightly basis and the Flyers were a better team in the regular season as well well I I think there's some serious concerns with Philadelphia here and and you're just uh, bagging on the Flyers because of course I am (laughs) of course I am but you know you look at the look at the guys who have scored goals for them so Vorsak you expect that but then Farabee Raffle Lawton uh, Abeku, Pitlick, Thompson, and then Hayes has one. There are some serious names on this lineup that you would have expected going into this that would have scored goals. Konechny, Giroux, Couturier, uh, even, you know, James Van Riemsdyk, who, who's, you know, been uh, a little banged up, obviously, and, and gotten, you know, kind of bumped from the lineup, but you would have expected him to have a goal here at some point. So the Flyers aren't getting the goal production out of the guys that they're supposed to that left wing spot has been kind of shuffled around now that they move Claude Giroux. Meanwhile, you've got a ton of stability on the Islanders top six. You know, you've got a first line that is, is producing. um, But really, as I said earlier, it's the second line. It's Josh Bailey with 10 points, Anthony Bolivier with nine, including six goals, Brock Nelson with eight points. I mean, these guys, uh, I think, are going to blow out the Flyers' second line here in terms of what they can do. Um, And I, again, you know, Giroux, if he's on the third line, maybe it gives them a little bit more depth. But I'll take Jean-Gabriel Pajot, Leo Komarov, and Cal Clutterbuck as a third-line matchup over what the Flyers are currently putting out there, too. So for me, um, yes, I think the defensive play is what's going to help the 
the Islanders get past here, but I just don't want to get lost that they have some guys that are producing offensively and really putting up great numbers. Well, it's clear that we lean different ways in this series, AJ, despite the first uh, game where the Islanders won it 4 nothing going away and uh, just checked the, the Flyers into the ice. I think the Flyers are going to give them a lot of resistance and really find their mojo in extending this series and ultimately taking it in seven games. Uh, what's your call on this one? Well, I don't think it's going to be short. I know I've sounded a bit of gloom and doom on the Flyers, but Carter Hart has been so good um, that, that it's not going to be a short series. But I do think the Islanders will pull this one off, and I expect them to do so in six games. All right, we go to the western side, and uh, the lone Canadian team in this postseason is featured in the first matchup against the Vegas Golden Knights. The Knights looking uh, all-world in, in the first game in the series, blowing out Vancouver 5 to nothing. But uh, that, that really kind of pans the goalie matchup a little bit when I'd like to talk about Jacob Markstrom and the fine season that he's had. Didn't look good in the first game, uh, partner, but uh, I think he's done enough in the regular season to know, to, for me to say that the disparity in the nets between him and Robin Leonard and even Marc-Andre Fleury is not a big one here. And so uh, where, where Vegas has a huge edge in net most, against most teams, that that gap is a little narrower in this matchup with the Vancouver netminder showing well. I would certainly agree. And, and, you know, to your point, even though he had the bad game, I don't think at any point that, that they're going to start Demko. I, I just don't see that happening. No. Um, they'll ride Markstrom either way um, in terms of the starter. And yeah, it's hard to take a guy who's rolling uh, Robin Leonard out, even though you have, a three-time Stanley Cup champion uh, serving as your number two option. There, there's literally nothing that Robin Leonard has done on the ice to warrant being pulled uh, from being the starter here. So I would expect to see him continue to carry forward. Um, and and what a luxury to have, right? So if, if Markstrom stumbles, you have Thatcher Demko, who's a solid prospect, an up-and-coming uh, netminder, but he hasn't done much. If Robin Leonard center stumbles, you can put Mark Andre Fleury in between the nets. That's a pretty uh, good luxury to have here. The Canucks have a luxury on the back end, AJ, that really hasn't shone through in this postseason so far. Alex Edler and Quinn Hughes have been less than stellar in the postseason, I'll say, uh, in terms of their offensive contribution. Much more is expected, and I think they have every chance to deliver more as we look ahead into this series. Troy Stetcher might be a third piece in that regard, and then they're counting on the likes of Chris Tanev, Oscar Fentenberg, and Jordy Ben to play more of a defensive shutdown role in this series, but they're missing a key element, too, in terms of the size and physicality of Tyler Myers. wonder if he'll get back in. He's listed as day-to-day as we look ahead, but maybe you have more information at that end that you can share. On the flip side, the Vegas Knights are certainly led by uh, a tandem, uh, a quartet, rather, uh, in their top four that is very formidable in terms of experience and ability at both ends of the ice, featuring three guys, Shea Theodore, Nate Schmidt, and uh, recently acquired Alec Martinez, uh, to to lead that component on the back end. It's a little bit more suspect for me on the bottom pairing with Zach Whitecloud and Nick Holden fo- holding down that third uh, pairing, but they have veterans John Merrill and 
Derek England in the, in the fold, and uh, should one of those two guys falter, I think we'll see one or both of the guys that are listed as fourth-pairing guys before too long in this set. Uh, I do think, based on star power uh, and offensive upside, I think it's a pretty even matchup in this series. You might just say Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman with an offensive game in this in this set, but uh, I really like the pairing of Theodore and, and Schmidt to offset what, what he does, uh, and, and uh, Alex Adler for that matter. Well, I think Vancouver fans and myself are going to take a little bit of umbrage with you here, Paul, saying that Quinn Hughes has had a bad playoff performance while you're touting Shea Theodore. Guess who has more points at this point? It's Quinn Hughes with 10, seven of which have come on the power play. Now, I get the goals maybe aren't there. He has one compared to Theodore's four. Um, but certainly, I think uh, those two match up pretty well as, as the kind of top guys for their team. Uh, I, I think I agree with you in general. The, the depth outside of that, that kind of top four um, for Vegas is a, is a bit of a concern. I feel more comfortable uh, with, you know, guys uh, like, you know, especially if Tyler Myers comes back, which it sounds like he's going to. Um, so then you're, you know, you're looking at Stetcher uh, and Fantenberg being your, your third pairing. I, I feel a little bit more comfortable with that compared to what you have for Vegas. So overall, I think I agree. I think it's a pretty close matchup. You've got top power play guys on both teams who can really produce. Um, I, I think if I had to pin it down, I might give the slight edge to Vancouver if Tyler Myers is in the lineup. To be clear, I didn't rip uh, Quinn Hughes for for the whole playoff. I didn't think he was dominant against the St. Louis Blues in that set. Four points in, in that series and uh, really not shining as brightly as he did at times during the regular season only a couple of shots on one shot on goal in two of those games actually so that's really what i would like to focus on so thank you for that opportunity (laughs) (laughs) the forward ranks in this set uh, provide a lot of firepower on both teams obviously we've talked long about the top six in vegas and it's taken uh, no time for them at all to find their top game in the postseason with each of those guys having uh, contributed paul stastny hangs on to that second line role at center he's a guy they're paying a lot of money and maybe the weakest link in that six pack aj when you look at it only two points in 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 one of the games and then he's been blanked for all the rest in in that last playoff series against the hawks so that's a bit of a concern he had two dnps as well so the question mark for me on the second line center role they don't have many options really when you think about it beyond stastny and carlson so nicholas roy and chandler stevenson might get a cameo if if Paul Stastny continues to struggle but uh, they got to go with a veteran guy at least for the next couple of games to give him a little more of a chance to find that game that's the only weakness there because the rest are all guys that you should be considering for for your DFS action and on the Vancouver side you can look at their top line Tanner Pearson Louis Erickson listed as wingers on Borvat's unit I question that quite frankly, because Louis Erickson has been a big black hole for me in these in this postseason. So I really don't know why uh, he's listed there. Uh, maybe it's because they're banged up on that right wing with Toffoli, McEwen, and Furland listed as uh, day-to-day on the right side. On the left side, JT Miller's a guy that uh, has, has really fit in very well with this club alongside Elias 
Pedersen and Brock Besser. That's, to me, the top line on the Vancouver roster. Adam Godet's a guy that compares very nicely with the Tampa second-line center uh, we named earlier, Anthony Sorelli. These guys are two defensive-minded pivots who have a bit of an offensive game that we've seen them show this year. So uh, I look for him to spark a third unit on the Vancouver side. And that might be something that kind of levels the playing field because for Vegas, that third unit is a bit of a drop-off from their top six where Vancouver's it's it's a little bit less gradual I think there there's more balance on the Vancouver side that's the way I see it yeah I absolutely agree with with your take on on both teams you know you look at uh, I'll start with Vancouver uh Louis Erickson has no business being uh honestly at this point Louis Erickson has no business being in the lineup (laughs) 10 games played zero points uh let's see um I think he's got, you know, 16 shots, you know, one, a little more than one a game. I, I, you know, if it's not, if Tyler Toffoli and Michael Furland are both healthy, for my money, I'm benching Louis Erickson, and I think he should be. I think they're unfortunately in a situation where, you know, they, that would be a little bit of a stretch, but I think I'd like to see, you know, you're not going to put Gaudet or Sutter up there, maybe Anton Roussel. Uh, Jake Vertanen, I think, could be a candidate. Uh, even Tyler Mott. I, I just think there's got to be somebody that they can put on that right wing spot that would be better suited. And b- believe me, JT Miller and Brock Besser are a non option. You're not breaking up that line by any means. So <laughs> it's going to have to be somebody else to to put up there. You know, maybe Louis Erickson can get going, but uh, they they are going to unfortunately be stuck with them until either Toffoli or Furland comes back for the Golden Knights. I, I do agree with your assessment that, you know, uh, Paul Stastny is the weak link in the top six, but I don't know what sort of options they have here. You know, I think I agree. I don't necessarily see Nick Nicholas Roy or Chandler Stevenson being a better option in the middle. Uh, Tuck is definitely a winger, you know, maybe Nick Cousins, but even that I, I'm not, I'm not sold on that either. So again, I, I think they're kind of pigeonholed into what they can do here in terms of of shaking up that top six so I, I think it is just what it is and again I will agree with your assessment that I think uh, the third line is where Vancouver could potentially uh, take advantage of of a, of a mismatch here um, you know especially if they you know switch things around and when they get uh, to Foley and, and maybe Furland back at some point. AJ, that leaves us to the call in this series, and I wonder which side of the fence you're going to be on, but I'm going to take the Vegas Golden Knights in six games. I think they've been one of the more impressive teams in this postseason, and while uh, Vancouver has risen, uh, played above their, punched above their weight, I'll say, in this playoff so far, I think there's just uh, too much star power on the Vegas side of things, and, and I wonder if Robin Leonard's starting to get into the Canucks' heads. Like I said, he's faced them three times in his career, and he's shut them out each time, so I'm going to... Con- back that trend more than anything as the deciding factor i think uh, leonard will continue to play a key role and the knights will win this series in six games well i would love to see you know my my guy mark andre Fleury win another stanley cup here so while i'm cheering for vancouver uh, for uh vegas i actually think vancouver is going to win this one i i just think that that tandem uh, that I talked about, of, of uh, or trio rather, of, of Miller, Pedersen, and Besser is just too good in terms of matchup. They've got everything you want in Hughes and Edler on the blue line. 
they have some injuries, and that could certainly be a factor. If they, but if they get healthy here, uh, I just think they're going to be too much further down the roster for, for the Golden Knights to handle. I want the Golden Knights to win, by all means. And actually, I want Flurry to take over as a starter. So maybe if Vancouver could shell them for a game, then Flurry could take over and go the rest of the way. But I do ultimately think it'll be the Canucks in seven games. And then we go to the next matchup, AJ, and that features the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche again. Uh, the theme is similar to what I see in the Islanders versus Philadelphia series, where you got a defensively uh, minded team versus a high octane offense. And when we look at the goalie matchup in this series, though, it almost looks like you're lining up for an exhibition game when you're talking about Anton Kudobin and Pavel Francis being the first guys on the ice uh, for for their respective clubs. Uh, that's not a big kick in the groin to either one of them, really. But uh, but uh, their starters are not there, and so we have to dig a little deeper to think who has the edge if anybody does. Uh, look, both guys have, have had their moments in the sun in terms of shining well. Uh, Kudobin, for her, his part, is playing a lot of hockey, much more than he's used to, but he's a veteran guy, so he's been around and might be able to handle that better than Francis, and uh, the fact that he's protected by a defensively stable lineup gives him an, a bit of an, another bit of an advantage. That's the way I see the goalie situation. Do you differ or do you agree with that assessment? No, I think Kudobin gets gets the edge here um, just from the experience standpoint and, and uh, the fact that he's been playing more games at this point. You know, he took over for an injured Bishop well before Francis took over for an injured Grubauer. So, um, you know, well, I, I think Kudobin gets the edge, but, uh, you know, we've kind of hammered on this uh, this goaltending tandem. Uh, so I'll, I'll dive in here, Paul, and, and take us through our defensemen, sure. if you don't mind. No. Um, you know, on, on one side with, with Dallas, uh, you've got the big gun here that's really performing, and that's Miro Heiskin in 14 points in 11 games. And John Klingberg, no slouch at eight the rest of the way. I think your surprise factor uh, for most of us, maybe not for you, Paul, uh, is Jamie Oleksiak with five points in 11 games. Not exactly known as an offensive stud, though I know you picked him up uh, in our, our postseason draft format here. On the flip side, um, I would say I know eight points is a lot in 10 games, but I would say Kel McCarr maybe underperforming a little bit um, from what you would want, especially when you consider that five of those points came on the power play. I would like to see a little bit more even strength contributions. And then I talked earlier about the fact that Eric Johnson is out indefinitely. Uh, they're going to use Kevin Connaughton in the lineup in, in his stead. Um, but really, it'll be Ian Cole, I think, who sees the biggest uptick in minutes. He doesn't have any points at this uh, at this stage of the game. That's obviously not his game, um, but I think they would like to see at least the occasional assist or something out of him. So for me, uh, I have to give the edge uh, to Dallas here. You know, in in terms of Mira Heiskanen just being completely unstoppable, um, and John Klingberg con contributing as well, and then getting contributions from guys you don't normally expect that's what you need in the postseason here yeah beyond the names that you mentioned on the Colorado side I'll mention Samuel Gerrard four points in the last five games is a guy that bears mention in terms of offensive upside Ryan Graves another guy that I would normally add to the mix has had a terrible uh, postseason offensively with only one assist to his record so I do agree that I think the offensive depth 
is all on the Dallas side when you look at the back end. Even Essa Lindell factoring in to the offense there. So they got four reasonable contributors in this postseason, at least possible. But Oleksiak, for me, is, is the dark horse. And I like what I've seen out of this guy. If you look at the minutes played, he, he's logging a ton of ice time for this team in all situations. So I figure that uh, he'll get more chances to produce given that circumstance, especially partnered with Miro Heiskanen. Not a bad land, landing spot for him. That's going to be a dynamic pairing for the Stars as long as, long as they have success in this postseason. When we look at the offense here, uh, again, it looks like uh, I, I, what I said earlier, that the big line is reunited. Joe Pavelski on fire. Denis Gurionov lighting it up. Matthias Janmark fills in the, the top six here, AJ. I wonder if they can uh, move things around and do better than that. Maybe you can have you have a thought there. But uh, Corey Perry and Rupe Hintz on the third line, that tells you that they're spreading it out here as well. And a team that was not known, noted for scoring in the regular season is one of the better offensive groups uh, as a whole in terms of goals per game in the postseason and uh, it's largely because of what's happened to Joe Pavelski as he's put on the Superman cape in the playoffs and uh, looks every bit like his best days when he was with San Jose so uh, good for him to for changing that up and then you look at the Colorado situation I did give a a pretty good rundown on what I see there AJ Uh, so I'll leave it to you to break down the forward ranks a little bit more than I did here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think as far as ideas for, for Dallas here on, on that left wing spot on the second line, like you don't want to break up something that's working. Uh, and Pavelski seems to be really thriving in, in the center position right now and pairing up well with Kurianov. But I think that's their option. If they want to get, I don't think they have somebody better that they could put on the left wing there. So I think your option is to move Pavelski uh, to the wing and then have Rupe Hintz as your second line center. Um, it's, I think it makes you a little top heavy potentially. Um, so they may just be stuck with, with Janmark kind of being in that spot. They could try flipping Ben and Janmark, but I don't, again, why mess with something that's working? So, uh, again, I think they're kind of stuck, but my idea, if you're looking for one is Pavelski to the wing and Rupe hints, uh, up a line here in terms of, uh, you know, Colorado, I think they're the, they're the offensive powerhouse of, of the postseason. You know, you mentioned that Joe Pavelski has been lighting it up, and he certainly has been. He's got nine points, but those nine points would only be good for fifth on Colorado right now. You've got McKinnon, uh, seven goals, eight, 18 points overall, Rantanen at 13, Nazem Kadri at 12, Gabriel Landeskog at 11, and a lot of production coming from the power play. I think that's going to be one of the biggest keys for Dallas and what I would be harping on as a coach is stay out of the box. If we are in the box in this series, we are going to get killed um, because that Colorado group just knows exactly what they are doing here. Um, so uh, I think overall, uh, if I'm picking an edge here, I give it to Colorado just because that first line is so dynamic and, and Nathan McKinnon seems like a man possessed uh, to you know really pull his team along here uh into the into the next round and I, aj that brings us to the final call in this round uh, of games i'm i made this call before the series started so i don't want to supposedly like, supposedly uh, made this call before the series started and oleksiak <laughs> was a guy that i that i picked in the draft to underscore that selection i'm we was made at the end of the first round i i think dallas is a team that's going to go a little bit further than Colum- 
Colorado in this postseason. I've had them winning this series in six. They're up 2 nothing, and they've looked very good offensively to complement their strong defensive structure. So I'm pretty happy that I made that call, but I know you're doubting the legitimacy. You go ahead and do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be happy to say that I got it right. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly hard to you know with a with a two uh, nothing deficit here it's it's hard to be on Colorado but I I do think that top line is so good um, that they can battle back into this and so I am I'm gonna make the kind of uh, risky call uh, maybe you should give me some odds on this one so <laughs> five to one on a on a dollar bet here or something but uh, I, I think Colorado can pull this out in seven I I don't think they're out of it yet. And uh, it'll, it's probably the series, um, maybe one of the series I'm, I'm most going to watch uh, the rest of the way, although I do really like that Vancouver-Vegas uh, series as well. All right, partner, it's time for our FanDuel segment. And before I say anything more about that, I'm going to tell our listeners, if you're going to listen to one part of the show, you should listen to this one because we've been on fire uh, since we started with the FanDuel segment, uh, bringing it back. Uh, in in recent weeks and uh, tonight there's a two game slate boston versus tampa vancouver and vegas and uh, aj what does the optimizer spit up for a, a situation like this a, a narrow slate obviously so that you know you know they're loading up on a couple of squads i think yeah i think the interesting thing is uh you know that the optimizer uh is generally designed to not put guys against your your netminder the baseball optimizer doesn't put hitters up against pitchers but in smaller slates that that does come up just because the of the way the math works out on it so i definitely think it's it's an interesting call here what the optimizer has spitting out but i will be upfront about the fact that it's not one that i will be using and it starts by having patrice bergeron uh 7500 at center it also has david pasternak on the wing at 8700 so really pairing up those two um big guns there a similar stack, uh, well, they don't play on the same line, but Vancouver, uh, Bo Horvat at 5,700, and then it has Brock Besser from the second line at, at 5,600. So really uh, a lot of Boston, a lot of Vancouver here. Uh, we'll see Alex Tuck coming in at 4,600. I think that's that's certainly a, a decent call as well with him being on the second power play unit. And then Andre Kasha for Boston at 3700 uh, Again, a good value. Uh, uh, you know, that's a pretty cheap price to pay for a second-line winger. You're going to want to make sure that he's in that role um, there. Defensively, uh, kind of a, a pay-up uh, factor here. Victor Hedman, 6700 is kind of the expensive uh, price tag on the board. Alex Edler at 4300 going back to Vancouver here. And then between the nets, this is what I was talking about earlier. It does have Andre Vasilevsky at 8200 um, Again, not necessarily a call I would make. If you look at you know who they're picking here, uh, the optimizer has players from Vancouver and Vegas and Tampa. Um, so it's kind of hard to pick one, but I wouldn't necessarily take three Boston players and then go uh, with with the Tampa netminder here. Maybe you go with Halak instead, even though you have Hedman, um, you know, and have one guy going against uh, your netminder. And uh, that's actually the way my team lines up, AJ, as a nice lead-in by you in terms of the way I laid it out. I look at the teams that I think are going to win tonight, and that's where I went heavier, obviously. So I'm picking the Bruins over Tampa in this game, and I'm taking Vancouver to bounce back against Vegas as I lay out my rosters. So 
At center, you can guess if Boston's going to win, I'm picking Patrice Bergeron to be one of the two pivots for 7500 bucks. Elias Patterson gets the nod as my number two guy. I think $6,800 might be the, one of the cheaper price tags associated with him all season long. So I'm happy to get that value in the lineup. Brad Marchand has uh, been one guy who's flipped the switch in recent games that start to matter, and he's looking like he wants to be an impact player every night once again. So happy to get him in the lineup for 8000 bucks. And uh, we've talked about Jason, JT Miller and the impact he's had with the Canucks and uh, playing alongside Pedersen. Uh, easy pick for me, 6800 $6, for Pedersen, 65 for for Miller. Uh, and then Brock Besser, even at 5,600, another guy that I'm going to throw in. So three snipers from the Vancouver Canucks, and I'm getting them at a real discount in the matchup here against Vegas tonight. The Lone Ranger, in terms of guys that are not uh, on the teams that I think are going to win tonight's games, are the next two picks. And Tyler Johnson and Mikhail Sergachev, that's only because I don't want to go over the limit of four players for for some of the other teams uh, that I'm picking in these uh, these formats. So Johnson is a guy who has elevated to a second-line role, $4,100, a cheap value for him, and I think he he doesn't mind playing the rugged hockey that uh, Boston-style dictates. And Sergachev is a guy that might is overdue to rise up and, and contribute offensively from the back end for Tampa, and he gets power play time to boot, so I'm looking for a bonus production, bit of production from him there. McAvoy and Krug, I panned them in terms of the defensive effort so far, in terms of scoring and that explains why McAvoy is only $4,500 heading into tonight's game but again another guy that's overdue to perform and in the Nets Yarrow Halak one of the cheaper goalie options at $7,800 but it's no no slight on him really he's played awfully well for them and that's the way my team lines up AJ I'm curious to see how much yours differs from mine if at all yeah so I'm actually going to take a lot of guys playing uh, in that Vancouver Vegas matchup. And, and I, I agree with you. I expect Vancouver to kind of bounce back, um, but Vegas can put up points as well. So uh, I'm kind of hoping and, and planning here for, for a big night. Uh, you know, hopefully that game ends up, uh, you know, seven, eight or something like that. And, and all my guys score. So <laughs> I've got the same uh, Vancouver line that you have that second line of, of Pedersen Miller and Besser and then I've got the the first line for Vegas and that's William Carlson comes in at 5500 pretty cheap center option especially a, a top line center but you do have to spend up if you want to stack that line I've got Max Pacioretty at 7600 Mark Stone at 7400 so you can see you know I, I spent a ton of money here and I'm doing what I did last night and it, it worked last night we'll see if it worked again I kind of punted on on the defenseman i i loaded up with forwards that i like and then i just kind of picked defensemen that i could fit in in a price price range um i went with alec martinez as my fourth vegas guy um that's not necessarily a punt um i think he has some offensive value he's got a goal and an assist in his last two games and so certainly uh two two assists and a goal in his last three games so even better um but then I have, uh, you know, just for what I could fit in, 3500 is the bottom price range. So I've got Zdeno Chara at 3700 Mainly I'm hoping here for some blocks. Uh, maybe he picks up a point here or there. Um, but honestly, I just stuck him in there because I was trying to spend up uh, on my forwards. And then I also went with Yaroslav uh, Halak uh, between the nets. I, I think Boston gets another win here. And so I wanted to avoid taking any Tampa players. 
AJ, I fully expect to do much better than my 4-4 four and four mark in the first round of picks uh, with the picks that we have in the second round series. Uh, I know we've differed on a few of them, so there's going to be some food for conversation here. Tell me, which one of the series do you feel strongest about where we disagree? So we both agree on the Boston-Tampa outcome, but which one of the other three do you feel the strongest about in terms of your chances? Um, I got to say the Islanders, you know, the the fact that they've been getting offensive production from a team that's known for for its defensive stance. uh, I I think I feel most uh, most strongly about that one. If if I have to pick the one I don't feel great about, it's obviously Colorado coming back from a 2-0 deficit. But they're they're a team that I think is is built to do that. And you've left behind the Vancouver Vegas matchup. Look, this is a maybe the one that sh- could be the best series in terms of a visual spectacle because there's a lot of offensive guys, cap- offensively capable guys there. And uh, uh, the intrigue for me is if and when. Uh, Vancouver does get a bit of a leg up in one of the games do does Vegas go ahead and switch to to Marc-Andre Fleury so that could be the one that has the more compelling storylines but the fact of the matter is we got eight pretty good teams left in the in the mix and uh, we've got a lot of hockey left to to watch and and enjoy and I I'm so excited that they've done a masterful job in the bubble zero infections in over 4,000 tests AJ a testament to how well they prepared for this experience i hope other leagues and other teams are watching i'm talking about you major league baseball and uh, i think i'll leave it right there aj we'll look forward to getting back to our listeners next week next tuesday with either a progress report on on these series or a preview of the next round depending on the number of games they fit in here and uh, how quickly they are wrapped up because they want to keep things moving along and uh, it's a fine place for us to stop on today's episode of podcast with statsman and aj our next episode as i said is scheduled to take place next tuesday the end of august as the summer is winding down and we're still talking about hockey i'm living in in nirvana when i can be able to say that (laughs) please remember to send your comments or questions on twitter follow me paul bruno at statsman 22 you can follow aj at aj shoals 24 as always we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research so long everybody 